everyone. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Normally, I would be introducing Dr. Deepak Chona's injury report to start the show, but Dr. Chona had something urgent come up, so no injury report this week. The good doctor will return next week. So let's get straight to our guest and what a terrific guest we have this week. It's my guy, Andrew Cooper of Fantasy Alarm. Coop is the lead analyst at Fantasy Alarm, and you can catch him on the Lightning Round show, where he co-hosts along with Kevin Tompkins and Britt Flynn, and also the Quick Out podcast. On Twitter, you can find him at Coop A. Fiasco. That's one of the best Twitter handles out there, by the way. Coop, how are you, my friend? Welcome to the show. At Buddy. Thank you for having me on, man. Really appreciate it. And thank you for coming on our show when you did. It's always a good time hanging out with you. Uh, the funny thing, you know, a lot of people listening might not realize that a lot of us kind of know each other. We talk. And for all the listeners out there, I've never heard a bad word about Pat Fitz from anybody. And I could, I got to say, when I met you at the expo, you, you lived up to the hype, man. You lived up to the hype. So appreciate hanging out with you, my guy. Oh, you're too kind, Coop. And, uh, you know, I've never heard anyone say anything bad about you as far as you know. Uh, No, seriously, man. It was great hanging out with you. And I loved being on the show with you and Kevin and Britt. And I want to start by bringing up something from that show, uh, which I think was maybe sometime in August. Does that sound about right? Yeah, it was. All right. So let me start by crediting you, uh, Coop, for mentioning, noting that when the Bears. Uh, when offensive coordinator Luke Getze was the offensive coordinator slash wide receivers coach for Mississippi State in 2018, which was the last time Getze had called plays before this year, his quarterback that season in Starkville, Nick Fitzgerald, ran for 1,121 yards and 13 touchdowns, averaging 18.4 rushing attempts per game. You pointed that out, Coop. So basically, you knew that Justin Fields was going to run a lot this year. Does that mean you have Fields on a bunch of your rosters? Oh yeah, especially the best ball ones. You know, I, I, I am. And you and I had a little debate that day about drafting two quarterbacks in leagues. But the leagues where I did do that, I did end up with some Fields. Ended up with some Tua. Uh, was a little painful early on with Fields, but feeling good now. And just my thought process on that was when you look at what these teams want to do, right? When you bring in like a Cliff Kingsbury, you're bringing him in to run the air raid. Right, you you bring in Kevin O'Connell from the Rams that won the Super Bowl. Wouldn't it be weird if he if he showed up? It was like, yeah, you know, that offense worked okay. You know, we won the the whole league and everything. But I'm gonna run something different. You know, <laughs> that's just it's not how it works, man. So anytime you get these guys coming in, we have to see what we can find on this particular guy. I mean, my first thoughts were they're bringing this guy in to call the plays when he hasn't called plays in quite some time. Uh, and then my second thought was to look that look to, to see when he last did. And uh, I mean. It, it would have shocked me if they he didn't have some bag of trips for running the ball with Justin Fields. So I did get him in some places. I hope you did it as well because, uh, I mean, now he's a little banged up, so we'll see. But uh, it's been good for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I've got him in a few spots, but not nearly enough. And the funny thing is, um, I think their leading running back at Mississippi State that year, 2018, was Kylan Hill, who the Packers just released. But, um, you know, had he not torn his ACL last season, running back a kickoff from like nine yards deep in the end zone. Um, Like he had shown out the preseason and they really liked him. And yet Nick Fitzgerald had uh, like almost twice as many rushing yards as Kylan Hill did that year. So you're you're a Packers fan, aren't you? Right. I am a Packers fan. So yeah, yeah, like the running quarterback is a big part of the Getsy thing. And now we're seeing all this designed running with fields but you said it coop i mean he hurt himself this past sunday it sounds like his shoulder injury is not too serious but um the one big drawback to having your fantasy quarterback run that often is it increases the risk of injury so is that a concern for you either in redraft or dynasty that it might not be a sustainable business model for fields to do this much running so in dynasty, it doesn't as much because you need you need that upside, right? Like you're just drafting the best possible guys. You're building your roster based on long term talent, and you're trading that way. So you know you you don't have as much flexibility to say, oh, I'm going to steer away from these guys. But it, it does matter in redraft where I'm, especially in best ball. 
I like to draft just two quarterbacks in like underdog, but I will go three in cases where I have those high risk type guys. Because I mean, just look at last year, a full season sample size. Virtually every back that ran the ball regularly or every quarterback that ran the ball regularly missed time and running backs too. But like, you know, Dak had the calf. Kyler missed games. Jalen Hurts missed a bunch of games. Russ got hurt. Lamar Jackson missed like five games. I mean, go down the list. Trey Lance broke his finger to uh, Daniel Jones fields himself like it was basically Josh Allen that was consistently running the ball and didn't really get hurt. So you have to start thinking about that nowadays. Uh, you know, if you're in a league where their the quarterbacks are lying all over the ground, who cares? But you got to think about it. you really do. Yeah. And you kind of have to roster build for that. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Um, all right, let's move over to tight end. And you follow the tight end position closely and do a lot of writing about it. Before the season, Coop, were you optimistic that we would have a fairly good-sized pool playable fantasy tight ends? Uh, I mean, every year we get our hopes up, don't we? Like we have the narratives, uh, you know, we work it out. But but for me, finally, I sat down and wrote one. I took everything I know on the position, wrote one evergreen article. I'm going to continue to up, update the stats on that. And, uh, you know, it boils down to a couple things. And the number one thing, if I had to slide somebody a sticky note and say, here's the most important thing for drafting a tight end, it would say, be a top two target on the team. He doesn't necessarily have to lead, but that's where the vast majority of the guys that finish top five come from. And when you think about a Travis Kelsey or a Mark Andrews, these guys are focal points of the offense. So in my mind, what I like to do is sit there and say, okay, uh, you know, who do I know is a top guy? That's the guy I'm willing to pay up for. And then after that, I start saying, why not? Like, why can't so-and-so become a top two target on the team? And that's where, you know, you might find a sleeper or you might end up very disappointed, right? So uh, a lot of disappointment this year, but there's some guys that are kind of bumping around. You know, how are you doing at the position this year? Oh, um, yeah, not that great. Well, actually, I take that back. I did take Mark Andrews in a bunch of analyst leagues and should have taken him in more home leagues. Um, I guess I'm doing okay. Like I'm kind of surviving. There were a couple of leagues where I took hits with Goddard and Ertz, but for the most part, it's been all right. Like I didn't hit the middle class quite as well as I hoped. And like in a one key league, maybe Cole Komet might work out for me, even though he wasn't working out at all early in the season. There's one guy like I don't really have any of, and I wish I did. Like you've written about average depth of target being a key stat for tight ends in that evergreen piece. Um, and by the way, you listeners go and check out this piece. Coop, do you remember the headline on this article if people want to Google it? Yeah, I do. Um, so you can you can either Google Andrew Cooper, what makes an elite tight end? It'll come right up or on Twitter at Coupe Fiasco, I still have it pinned because I'm just like, you know what? If you want to understand what I do, read this article. And then from there on out, I mean, you might not even need my help because you'll have the things that I really, truly factor in, uh, you know, then beyond that, we in the season, it's matchups and stuff like that. But like this stuff, tried and true, going back, some of the stats go back to 2003 that are locked in. Like, for instance, every top five tight end going back to 2003 has had either 90 targets or 10 plus touchdowns that's dialed in. There's no exception. So like those things you can take and apply it to your own process and say, here's what I think happens. If you don't think of those guys, they can get one or the other, then you don't draft the guy and targets is the way to go. So uh, that, but that's all in the article. Definitely check that out. Yeah. And this is one of those articles. It's not going to give you the fish. It's going to teach you how to fish because you're not saying specifically you wanted this article to be evergreen. So you're not pointing out specific players to target for you know this season. You're telling people the sort of players they should go after. And you mentioned average depth of target is kind of a key stat for tight ends. Um, so Greg Dulcich, like does his, and I know we're still dealing with kind of a small sample size for this guy since he missed time early in the season, but does his high average depth of target have you excited about his future? Absolutely. I mean, you go through the, I'll give you the quick checklist right now. Just to, you know, I know people these days, you listen to podcasts, maybe you don't like to read. Here's the checklist, right? Be a top two target on the team. Block on less than 15% of your pass snaps. Essentially only George Kittle in the last like decade has finished top five while blocking on more pass plays than that. And it was like 15 points. Line up at wide receiver often. That's one that Greg Dulcich checks as well. Converted wide receiver 
plays a good chunk of wide receiver. Great for himself in man-to-man is another one where there are certain guys when you're wondering, why can't, why isn't Tyler Conklin consistent? There you go. Knack for scoring, high A-dot routes, run fast, high volume offense. And the thing with the high A-dot routes is there are so many examples we can go back and point to. I mean, just from last year, you go back and look at a guy like uh, David Njoku versus a guy like uh, a guy like Tyler Higby. Like on far fewer attempts and receptions, they can generate similar yards, right? And this year, Tyler Higby, he's not even in the top ninety tight ends for ADOT. That's what's holding him back. Even though you see these games where he gets eight, ten targets. So for a guy like Dulcich, when he's running real routes and can potentially score these monster touchdowns, you got to move those guys way up. And I don't think enough people look at that stuff. They really just latch onto the targets, which are, of course, important. But you got to get into the other stats. Are there any other young tight ends you're excited about? Yeah, man. So when I look at it coming out, it's such it's such a tough game to look at rookie tight ends in college production and try and figure out who's going to do what. But I love seeing it on the field and sorting out once they get in the league, who's going to go to the blocking side of the tree? Who's going to come to the pass catching side of the tree? If your guy starts looking like Drew Sample and blocking on 50, 60% of the snaps, like you got to move that guy for anything you can. Hunter Long, those guys, Tommy Tremble, get them out of here. But I look at Kate Otten and his usage when Cameron breaks out, beautiful, right? You look at a guy like Daniel Bellinger has now kind of transcended from a blocking side at the beginning of the year to that side. I look at, uh, you know, uh, Trey McBride looking like a guy that last week with Ertz out played 90% of the snaps, 91%. All year long, Gerald Everett, he's ne- he has not eclipsed 78% all year in that offense. And now Trey McBride's going to come out and play 91% the moment Zach Ertz gets hurt. Go out and trade for that guy as soon as possible if you can. You know, it's probably going to be a bad matchup this week, so you might even get away with it. So uh, things like that, you want to see who's going to be on the side of the tree catching passes and avoid the guys that are going to be the next Michael Pruitt or, you know, Mercedes Lewis, right? Like it, it happens. Other than Kyle Pitts, which tight ends have disappointed you the most this season? Guys who just haven't been as good as you thought they'd be. Yeah, I mean, we're talking tight end, Ben. Where do we begin? I mean, <laughs> like the, the list of guys that haven't disappointed is essentially Travis Kelsey, right? Like everybody else is either hurt or, or struggling, but uh, I got, I can get into it and say, uh, so I, like I said, I ask why not? So I look at these different situations and say, okay, why can't Hunter Henry be a top two target on the team? Uh, why can't Austin Hooper, why can't Brevin Jordan carve out a role? But then Brevin Jordan is a healthy scratch. These games like that, those guys are guys where you, you saw the path and they disappointed. Uh, so, you know, a few of the guys are coming around a little bit, Cole Komet, guys like that, but there's a number of them where you could have painted that picture for yourself, uh, like a Hunter Henry, who was a top two target on the team last year, led the league in touchdowns. I mean, that's a disappointing situation for sure. The, the, the step back for Mac Jones and things like that. So yeah, there's a number of those guys that we had hoped for, but again, that's, if you're going to put yourself in that situation, drafting tight ends outside the top 12, you got to be ready for heartbreak. Yeah, not only is Henry not a top two target on his own team, he's not even the top tight end on his own team anymore. Like he seems to have been passed by Janu once again. I mean, it's kind of close. Neither of those guys are giving us fantasy viable numbers. But so what did you wind up doing at, at tight end this year, Coop? Like what's what does your tight end portfolio look like? Yeah, I mean, anywhere. So in Dynasty, I'm I'm feeling good because usually we're ahead of the game there. So I've got a lot of, you know, Mark Andrews and, and Kittles and stuff like that. But uh, I did a lot of pairing two tight ends. That's my system. So we got the evergreen article that's going to stay and just be updated. And then that will, will allow me to focus more on, on the yearly strategy and what I'm doing. I do this thing called yin yang tight end, where I grab a safe, very safe tight end. That's kind of boring and try and shoot for upside. So I ended up with a lot of uh, my safe tight end being like an Ertz or a Hawkinson. And then my upside plays being guys like, Evan Ingram, Cole Komet, Hunter Henry, which didn't pan out, but you drop him and move on. I've got some Juwan Johnson mixed in, but, uh, you know, luckily with the Hawkinson trade, that worked out all right. And then in a lot of leagues, I'm, I've just been starting Cole Komet and Evan Ingram. They, they've been getting me by. Evan Ingram was pretty decent early on, especially in full PPR. Now Cole Komet's picking up. You could piece it together if you're, if you're staying plugged in. 
Yeah, that tandem hurt me in one league a couple of weeks ago because I decided that Cole Komet wasn't cutting it. Decided to trade for Evan Ingram right before one of my games, and that was the first Cole Komet two-touchdown game. And I happened to be going against Justin Fields, too, that day. So benching Komet for Evan Ingram, who got hurt early in that game after having like a two-yard catch. Uh, yeah, not not the best timing there. Um, all right, Coop, Great there's team, a lot more. Uh, I know. There's a lot more football I want to talk with you, but uh, I got to go off topic with you first because you just got back from a long trip to Europe. Uh, that was your honeymoon, correct? Yes, honeymoon. And, you know, it's just one of those things. I, can you believe I went on a three week trip in the middle of football season? Do you think I'm, am I outside of my mind or what? <laughs> three weeks, man. That's crazy. First off, congrats on getting hitched. Uh, but I, I need to hear more about this trip. I mean, had you been to Europe before? So I had been to Spain for a week, but it was kind of a – it wasn't the Europe experience that this was because that's just a one-stop shop. You know, we kind of got the one-place experience, but this was just a totally different beast. Yeah, this which country – what was uh, on your itinerary this time? Which countries did you visit? So three weeks is quite some time. So we did Iceland, down to Denmark, then to Prague in the Czech Republic, down to Venice in Italy – up to Switzerland, where we took the you know a bunch did all the train rides and stuff. Went to Liechtenstein, and anybody out there listening, you can skip Liechtenstein. There's not really much going on <laughs> there. Then we went to Bruges in Belgium, Netherlands, and then popped into London before coming back to the great old U.S. of A. So big time trip. Uh, just really wanted to get after it. We planned that you know having kids doing the whole thing, so wanted to uh, to do uh, make a big splash one time, and then uh, you know now we're back back home, back to work. Oh, that's fantastic. What is the best thing you ate on this trip? Oh, the best thing. So many different things. But the number one, we went in Copenhagen. There was this restaurant called Gold Crone. I had got a I was recommended but to uh, to me by somebody. I got reservations like a month in advance. And they had this roast pork that was like fried on the outside. It was like imagine it was acceptable to just eat a plate that was just bacon. Like, but like Thick, crazy bacon. Like, that's what this was. It was insanity. It was insanity. Like, it was so good. It When you eat something and it feels like you're eating, it's like, it's so good. It's like poison. That's what this was. I was like, I, I was looking around. I'm like, I can't believe I'm getting away with eating. That's how good it was. <laughs> Which country had the coolest, nicest people? Um, So the cheating answer to that would be that I ran in. So I went to London and I knew a couple people and uh, met up with a guy, uh, DJ Santero. He's a DJ that, um, you know, I know from fantasy football and he took it. He got us on this guest list to this place that had like a ball pit, the whole deal. But since I already kind of know him, I feel like that's cheating a little bit. So I'll say we met people in Iceland. We met these Navy pilots at this uh, Big Lebowski themed bar. And we hung out and watched the uh, the London game there because it was the middle of the day over there. The uh, it was the Broncos Jaguars game, and man, that was just a blast. You know, meeting those people, knowing that there were other you know football fans out there. So I, I would say that Iceland, uh, that's where we met the most people that we had a blast hanging out. There is a big Lebowski themed bar in Iceland. Oh man, it is so cool, bro! I had like three different kinds of white Russians and they have this big wheel that you spin and we were spinning for every time any team scored points field goal either team didn't matter we were like all right somebody pay for a spin and you spin sometimes you get nothing sometimes you get 10 beers sometimes you get three shots like that bar the big Lebowski bar in Reykjavik if you're if you go to Reykjavik and don't go to that bar you didn't even go to Iceland in my opinion that, it was a blast. Oh, man, I was going to ask, like, what is the weirdest thing you saw or experienced? It seems like that would be hard to top a big Lebowski <laughs> bar in Iceland. Dude, when you go, we, we went to a ball pit club with the other guy. But I'll tell you, like, and again, if you go to countries like this, you know, middle of Europe, where you have to pay for the bathrooms, you're going to see some weird stuff with people that don't feel like paying, I will say. But <laughs> beyond, beyond that, I, there was one thing that totally was – easily the weirdest thing which we're in switzerland right in lucerne which is like it's a touristy town but kind of a sleepier town and you know we're relaxing it's like nine ten at night all of a sudden i hear what sounds like gunshot right and then it's like bang 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 a few of them like, what is going on right and it's going on for like an hour so we finally are like all right we gotta go get something to eat. we go outside there are these kids outside just cracking these whips 
that are like super so loud, like supersonic loud. And like, we're trying to get by them just to go to like the restaurant. And finally we get to a restaurant. I'm like, dude, what is with the whips and the kids? And it turns out it's this like thing they do. It's a Christmas tradition to like ward off evil spirits. But I, dude, it was because I woke up from a nap too. And sometimes you wake up from a nap and you don't even know what planet you're on. So I'm like, what is happening out here right now with these kids in the dark? No one was even around them. They were just cracking away. That was easily the weirdest thing that I saw while I was out there. I was like, what is what is happening? Well, little did you know they were doing you a favor by, you know, warding off your evil spirits. So really? you're you're good to go for Christmas now, Coop. That's that's <laughs> the good news. Straight um, through. Yeah. I mean it's like when they said Christmas, I was like, Christmas isn't for a while, but then I realized they don't have Thanksgiving. So it's they're they're already on to the next one. All right. So now I know you were with your bride and you mentioned the European game, but did you get to catch any football, I don't know, in any sort of normal sense while you were there or not really? Were the NFL Sundays just sort of gone for you? Man, there are NFL fans all over the place. There was one place where it was not popping off, which was Bruges in 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 uh, Belgium. It was, you know, again, kind of it's not a bigger city, but like we had no problem finding football people in Iceland. I had no problem finding them in, in the other cities. Um, and, you know, I had my iPad for that. So, and it's football, man. So I'm, I'm up to date on all the good. I was getting up early in the morning while she was sleeping and doing my stuff. So, cause I got to stay plugged in on that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, there's, there's big following out there. I found someone to talk football with in every single city. I'll tell you that. God, that's fantastic. Glad you had a good honeymoon, man. That sounds like a, a trip of a lifetime. Um, Appreciate and by it. the way, Coop, it, it's, Thanksgiving on Thursday, you might have noticed. Uh, I so I have to ask, like, which Thanksgiving side dishes would appear on the medal stand for you? Uh, which dishes get the gold, silver, and bronze? Yeah, I mean, I'm a Thanksgiving. I'm a Thanksgiving mega fan. It's my very favorite holiday, and this is from somebody that, like, you know, my birthday's on a three day weekend holiday. You know, it's but for me, I personally, I just love it. It's football, it's family, friends, beers. I don't have too many responsibilities myself, so it's a great thing. Uh, so I'm a kind of a traditionalist. Number one was it's got to be stuffing for me. That's still, uh, that's still the top, dude. I like if I can make a plate, like I make a plate of everything, and then my second plate is basically just stuffing, mashed potatoes, and crescent rolls and gravy all over everything. So I'm not going to go too far off the beaten path here, man. It's it's all perfect in my eyes. Oh, that's fantastic. A lot How about of you? What are some of your go-tos? I'm a stuffing guy too, man. And I like the classic, like the more organ meats in that stuff, the better. And I know that like grosses some people out, but I am just totally on board with that. You know, I mean, mashed potatoes are great, but it's just potatoes. Like there's nothing that special about it. You know, if you can give me some sort of Brussels sprouts with bacon and maybe some balsamic vinegar. They're crispy uh, too. I like the crispy brussels. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, green bean casserole. I'm I'm open to all sorts of interpretations there. That's you a know, part of I, growing up. That's a part of growing up, man. I'm telling you, for the younger listeners out there, you know, that sit back and like to separate all their stuff and not mix it together, and they don't eat the vegetables and stuff. There will come a time where you uh, your palate expands and you, you just go for all that stuff and and mash it up and, and do it and do it big time. You'll. You'll learn someday. Yes, yes. And and green bean casserole, classic, man. If you come from a certain time, like it's it's just, you know, part of, it's like a, a rite of passage to have eaten the green bean casserole at Thanksgiving. All right, Coop, uh, turning back to football in the time we have left. So Lamar Jackson threw 10 touchdown passes in his first three games of the season. He's thrown six touchdown passes in his last seven games and has averaged 175.4 passing yards per game over that stretch. Do you think that is mostly about the wide receiver talent shortage he's dealing with? Um, Like Lamar faces Denver in week 13. Would you actually consider benching him in that game or is he unbenchable? Ah, So to a certain degree, he's unbenchable, especially in four point passing leagues. I think it just too much upside there. But what Baltimore's going through is a testament to what a lot of teams in the past have faced, which is when you build your roster too thin. We saw it all the time. The Steelers were for the past 
you know, a couple decades were the number one culprit of this, where they would they would lean too heavily on Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Big Ben, and one of them would get hurt, and then the season would be over. I truly think that Mike Tomlin and those teams would have had more would have won more if they tried to spread the talent out a little more thin. And you see that now with this Ravens team where they think they can trade away Hollywood Brown and just replace him with Rashad Bateman. And once Bateman gets hurt, now it's ugly. And you know, J.K. Dobbins is hurt, and you see you're cycling through all these different guys, uh, Gus Edwards and J.K. Do- and um, you know, Kenyon Drake. There there's a reason that some of these very successful teams like the New England Patriots over the course of time here, you know, of course they relied on Tom Brady, but it would, they spread things out a little, a little wider, right? So that you're not leaning on one running back. You're not leaning on one tight end even right now. So uh, I think that's what they're suffering from is that it truly is a lack of talent. So I would consider benching him if I had the right options. I don't know. Are you, are you willing to go there? Let's say six point passing and you have uh, Joe Burrow as well. You know, you know, bench Lamar, go Joe. Oh, I would start Joe over him. Yeah, I, I don't think people, most people, probably have that good a fallback. Yeah, option. yeah they're probably would, looking at something more like I don't know. Like, I shouldn't have picked somebody that threw for three hundred yards and three touchdowns. I? I yeah, <laughs> they're, they're probably making like Andrew or uh, Daniel Jones type choices. Maybe Kirk I, Cousins. Um, Kirk yeah, Cousins, I. Man. I probably couldn't do it. You just never know when he's going to pop off with two touchdown runs, I, I guess is the exactly. thing. Exactly. Because, I mean, even this week, you know, it's like you you look at it and, you know, you don't feel great about it, but he scores a rushing, rushing touchdown. He has 30 rushing yards, and that's almost right. 10 points by itself, right? Right. So he's, he, he gives you a floor, the rushing yards. Always. Always with Lamar. So it looks like Cam Akers might be the main man in the Rams' backfield again, Coop. Well, maybe not the main man. He had a team-high 14 carries for 61 yards in the Rams' 27-20 loss to the Saints on Sunday. He didn't have any targets, and he didn't even lead the Rams' running backs in snaps. It was actually Kyron Williams who played 35 snaps, Akers played 25, and Daryl Henderson played four. Do you have any interest in Akers or, for that matter, maybe Kyron Williams down the stretch? Or is this just a backfield you don't want to get mixed up in? Yeah, I mean, there seems to be a lot of these narrative-based backfields these days. Like the Chiefs, for instance, like where Jarek McKinnon plays the pass plays and uh, then they give the run plays to the other guys. And, you know, it it scares me when when you look at it and you really boil it down and Kyron Williams plays 27 pass, pass plays, Cam Akers only plays nine. Right, because the rug can get pulled pretty hard on a team like that if they're not winning. So I am pretty scared for uh, for the K-Maker situation. And in Dynasty, I think now if you can go out and trade a guy like that now, uh, where he's had the injury, he's clearly got some sort of attitude thing going on. Now's the time to do that, if you ask me. And I'm I'm not super interested in Kyron Williams either. Uh, I just don't I don't like the split. I don't know. I did now what happened with Daryl Henderson? He started the game and then only played like a couple snaps. So yeah, is there any wh- word on what happened there? I have not seen anything pop up as far as injuries. So I don't know if that motivated it or if it was just, you know, some sort of missed assignment or something. It was pretty weird. I got to ask Coop, I know you're a Red Sox fan. Are you a Patriots fan too? So you should be like, you got in on the ground floor of being a decoder of tricky backfields because the Patriots used to be the one team that had that sort of thing where they would have, oh, depending on the game script and uh, the plan of attack against a certain defense, it would be this guy or this guy. And now there are 10 backfields like that. So your your experience trying to decode the New England backfields didn't really give you any... Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, you know, you mentioned in the beginning, we talked in the very beginning of this podcast about Justin Fields and trying to figure out like what the coaches do and what they're brought over to do. Well, that's an example of how that actually bit me in the ass this year, because I looked at the Patriots and I'm like, okay, modified Erhard Perkins system. They've run for 20 years now, never had a back, get both 200 carries and 35 plus receptions. Uh, Josh McDaniels is a huge part of that, right? So I'm like, okay, they're bringing Josh McDaniels over to the Raiders. There he goes out. He gets Amir Abdullah. He goes out. He brings in Brandon Bolden. He, they draft Amir White. I'm like, he's building the Earhart Perkins. They're gonna split the backfield. They go out. Don't do that at all. Josh Jacobs, mega star. Like I, I, that. So the whole narrative that brought me to Justin Fields about what does this coach do? What's he going to do? I thought that was gonna happen. Didn't happen. 
And I don't have a lot of Josh Jacobs. I wish I did because he's been amazing. And, you know, Pat, that's why this job is so difficult. And that's why you and I will always have jobs because there's just an infinite way, different number of ways to look at this. We're all going to try and do our best, you know, but it's like, think about all that work that goes into that narrative. And then at the end of the day, the answer was, eh, no, they're not going to do that. So just crazy, this game we play. man. And that's part of the fun. I, I think like they're in across the leagues I'm in, it seems like there are very few sharp players who have Josh Jacobs on their roster. But, uh, you know, that's maybe the great equalizer is that guys like that slip through the cracks and the people who uh, aren't it's like the guy, this thing the way we are. The guy in your hometown it. league that just drafted Larry Fitzgerald every year and he was just awesome every year until yes. he was like 35, right? Same with Marvin Harrison. You know, it's like I kept asking myself, okay, he has first thousand yard season with when he was 27 years old. And I kept asking myself, how long can Marvin Harrison really do this for? And then he went eight straight years of a thousand yards and double digit touchdowns through through 34 years old. And I was always the one saying no. And there's always that dude in my league just that would just say, whatever, I'll take Marvin Harrison, Larry Fitzgerald. And he, the guy's kicking my ass. So that you're right. It is a great <laughs> equalizer. It is what makes this game fun. And it would be if we could just sit down and figure it all out before the season, it would be no fun. I know. So since we were just talking about Josh Jacobs, he and Tony Pollard are both going to be among a pretty fascinating crop of free agents in the offseason. Like there's nothing out there at wide receiver, but there's a lot out there at running back. If you were an NFL general manager, who would you rather have? Who would you rather sign, Tony Pollard or Josh Jacobs? I think I would sign I think I would sign Josh Jacobs. Uh, I mean, for one, we don't feel that way because Jacobs has been the starter for longer, but he's actually younger than Tony Pollard, right? Uh, Jacobs is still 24 years old. It, it doesn't even sound like it makes sense. There's a few guys like that. Like Alexander Madison is still fairly young. I think he's still 24 as well. Uh, but uh, the difference maker for me is that when we watch Tony Pollard, we know why he doesn't play more, right? We know that he's not as good of a pass blocker as he this week, we watched him get stuffed at the one-yard line two times in a row, right? Like that happened. And then Zeke went in on third down and scored right away. And then later on in the goal line, Zeke scored again. Like we know what his deficiencies are, where I believe that Josh Jacobs as an overall player is just a, a higher talent. Now, obviously money would factor into the decision. And at being a Patriots fan, you know, I always think to myself like, well, if we can pay our couple backs together and spend less money, I would rather do that. But if I had to just take one, I would take take Josh Jacobs. I'm not sure if your thoughts are different. I know Tony Pollard is, is explosive. He's awesome. He can play special teams if you need him to do that. But I just look at Josh Jacobs. I'm like, this guy, this guy is a like pure, you know, he reminds me of the backs from like the heyday in 2002 and 2003, you know? Yeah, a do-it-all guy, and I feel the same way. But yet I feel like in our business, uh, the sharp people are head over heels in love with Tony Pollard. And I don't think anyone was in love with Josh Jacobs until maybe this season. And, and people are starting to get a new appreciation for him. So, uh, I mean, it's almost like a trick question for a lot of people, but uh, I'm I'm glad you're on that side because I do think there is a right answer here. You know, like a, a guy who actually could be the bell cow guy if you need him to be. Yeah, that's why you and me, we fall into the certain crowd of like the, the very pragmatic crowd, right? Like, and we, which also makes us very skeptical at times of certain things. But there is the other crowd. And I'm not saying every Tony Pollard fan is this way, but there's a certain crowd of people that always want the backup to be the guy they want, right? They always want the guy that gets drafted in the fifth round over the guy that gets drafted in the second round. And to me, sometimes, hey, sometimes that is right, but sometimes you just got to go with the chalk. Right. Yeah. I mean, people used to fight to the death defending Kenyon Drake and, and how he should have had a bigger role in Miami. And, you know, eventually we learned he just wasn't that guy, you know, like he was meant to be a part time guy and, and can succeed in that role. But like he's got some fundamental aspects of this game that just don't serve him to be that heavy duty guy. Duke Johnson. We did it for years with Duke Johnson. Oh, yes. Duke, too. So what conclusions, if any, have you drawn about the Washington backfield coup? Like, what are your feelings about Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson, not only for this year, but beyond? Yeah, I mean, so Antonio Gibson, they, I think it's so hard to speculate on this, but clearly there's something going on there with 
between him and the coaches. Like you look at, and Saquon Barkley is the shining example, but you see the quotes that come from Saquon Barkley and you hear what the coaches say about him and how he's like striving to be legendary and wants to always be remembered. And then you hear the stuff with Antonio Gibson and it's the quotes are not super positive and the team's always trying to split the backfield now and they haven't played in special teams. I look at that stuff and I'm like, do I want this guy on my team if he's not going to have the attitude, especially Dynasty, to be the long-term option? So it seems pretty clear they love Brian Robinson. You know, he maybe he will end up just being a, uh, you know, a Jordan Howard type rundown only guy or Alfred Morris, I guess, would be a good Washington example if we're going to do that. But, uh, you know, they clearly like him on the, those downs. And then Antonio Gibson is a kind of now a pass down only type guy. And when J.D. McKissick is healthy, that it's split even further. So I'm trying to separate myself from Antonio Gibson in Dynasty. Brian Robinson interesting uh for sure but with him you just got to hope that he also develops a little more pass catching chops because we haven't seen much of that so far right yeah you make a really good point about antonio gibson and and our maybe frustration with them not giving him the role that we think he maybe deserves but like it's it's happened now across a couple of years and and with some different supporting players in that backfield and like maybe we just have to understand that they're trying to tell us something is missing here um you know like this this guy maybe isn't the guy you think he should be even though he's got jonathan taylor's size and speed and and you know looks really bursty at times but yeah um, and he played wide receiver in college and the whole right. deal right it's like you, the you profile think it- is so sexy but yeah <sighs> That's why I think it might be – and again, we're not in there with the X's and O's to know this stuff. Someone has to come out and tell us it, right? Like someone has to come right. out and say, hey, this guy's a problem or whatever, or he, or he can't learn the playbook or, or doesn't get the scheme. Like you know, with Philip Lindsay, it's, it was pretty clear he, with the pass blocking stuff, it wasn't working out. Whether he didn't have the size or he couldn't really do it. And Tony Gibson also struggled to a certain degree in that. And if you make too many mistakes in that, that aspect of the game, they're not going to like you. So I, that's when I, when I see the skill in, in all the different facets that we've seen, I have to wonder if it's something on that side of the, that side of the game, the locker room side, the X's and O's side, perhaps, you know, it's hard to say, but when the pass blocking grades for a guy like this are this bad every single year, you have to wonder if he's not understanding the scheme. Let me ask you about another interesting backfield. Assuming Leonard Fournette is fully healthy this week with the Buccaneers coming off their bye. What would be your guess at how Fournette and Rashad White divide work this week against the Browns? Man, that's another one that's tough because we have heard from them what they say, where it's like we've had playoff playoff Lenny himself saying, hey, I need a little help. And then, you know, they they give more work to the other guys. But then Rashad White comes out and says, hey, we need you to be healthy because you're the guy. So it's it's a very strange situation along with Bruce Arians, who is like the doghouse king. Like I've seen this guy call out as a little more in Arizona than here, but call out guys, you know, publicly saying, Hey, we only have one wide receiver on the team. It's Larry Fitzgerald or like cutting guys over parking spaces or, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn getting COVID and then just being buried under the doghouse forever. Like this situation is one where I feel like I'd be lying to people if I came out and said, I know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, but what I can say is that what I've seen from Rashad White is enough for me to put him at least in the tier that I'm putting Kareem Hunt or anybody that's splitting a backfield even enough for me to put them in my lineup if I need them. So I'm not moving him up to like the Tony Pollard range of now he's the guy, but if there are definitely situations where I'm starting him if I need him and I'm starting Lenny too. So I, I don't, do you have any insight on this one, Pat? Because it's like, this is what I feel like. I feel like you, you put, you put us both in a tough situation, bringing this topic up here. You know what I mean? I know, we got to talk about these. We got to talk about the, these are the ones that are the most important to talk about. So do you got anything on this? Cause it's a crazy situation here. I don't. I feel like they're going to come out with something close to a 50-50 split. Yeah. And yeah. Like, I'll be really surprised if they swing back all the way towards Fournette and, you know, White is just a change of pace guy. I'll be really surprised if they just let White take this over and, and you know, banish Fournette to backup duty. Exactly. But, and, the, and the part that makes it so hard is that there's no split 
Like when you look at the percentages, there's no split like, oh, this guy's playing most of the pass work. This guy's playing most of the run work. It's been split. Uh, when it's split down the middle like that, it's just you just got to uh, cross your fingers there, come out of the bye. Right. They don't really have complementary roles. They both kind of have the same skill sets, which I, I suppose is good for the team in some ways because they can have either guy run pretty much anything in their playbook. But um, makes our job. Make, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Had you left Najee Harris for dead a few weeks ago, like like I did? Have we seen enough from him over the last three or four games to convince you that he's back to being a must start? I mean, so now, I mean, now I was telling people to start like I go through my start sits. We do a ton of them every single morning for anybody out there that wants live start sit info. John and Pemba and I on the Better Sports Network, B-E-T-T-O-R or on our it's on Fantasy Alarms YouTube as well from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Uh, Sunday morning, we do start sits. And when I look at them, I, uh, you know, there's a certain level where I have to go with a Najee Harris who's set to play most of the snaps versus some of these guys that are playing half the snaps. So I was still recommending him with the caveat of like, hey, you know what you're getting. He's going to get the volume. It might be ugly, but it might not. But at least he's getting the volume. Now that he's, you know, he came out and had this week, I don't think it changes that much for me. Like, cause he's still going to come out and play 70% of the snaps and have bad games at some point. Huh? Like it's, it's kind of out of his hands to a certain degree. He is. I mean, I want to see what this Jalen Warren hamstring injury is all about, whether that's something serious. I mean, maybe he, maybe he has massive snap shares for the next few weeks if, if Warren is out of the picture, but um, it's interesting. And maybe we know we went, he went into the season with that foot issue. And everyone was concerned about it. And it was weird that the, the Steelers were still playing him in the preseason with this foot issue. And I don't know, maybe he's just better now. Like maybe we should have been willing to believe that he did have this fit foot issue and was not at a hundred percent early in the year, but maybe he's getting there now. So, but either way on the season, it's a lesson to us. It's a lesson for us. And a similar one uh, can be is Logan Thomas, right? It's these brute force volume guys where you know where you're drafting them because they got 100% of the snaps. Like Logan Thomas was playing 100% of the snaps, but now he's playing 70 and you're like, "Oh, wait a second, like maybe this guy isn't amazing. Maybe he was just getting a ton of volume and and was kind of backdooring his way into that." You got to be careful with that cuz Najee Harris again last year, that's all we really liked. He wasn't super efficient, right? Like it, the offensive line wasn't good, the offensive wasn't that great. And now that it's not 100% it, we're like, oh, wait a second. We probably should have seen that that possibility. So that's you got to be careful with the I, – I'd, I'd rather go for a guy getting a partial share that's efficient and is on its way up than chase uh, somebody that just got insane volume. Yeah. One Steeler-related possibility that I didn't think I would be bringing up with you, Coop, is Deontay Johnson droppable? <sighs> crazy. That, that one is crazy because the answer is yes in – Format dependent, obviously. In deeper leagues, you just throw them on the bench. But I mean, yikes. You, you know what? And again, I talked about this one this offseason where I said, hey, you know what? Big Ben is retiring because he's done and because it's the end of his career. But that doesn't mean whatever comes in next is going to be better than what than what we saw. The reality of is that Big Ben is probably still better than a good chunk of quarterbacks in the league. He's just done playing football. Right. Like, so uh, he's not good enough to win a Super Bowl. So he's done. But that doesn't mean he's not better than Kenny Pickett right at this moment. Right. Like, Kenny Pickett could end up being better, but that's something we have to worry about. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. interesting, though, because like he was better for Deontay Johnson than Kenny Pickett is. But I don't know that Big Ben would have been better for George Pickens than Kenny Pickett is. Agreed. You know what I mean? Agreed for sure. And a big part of that was the release. The time to release Big Ben was basically, he was like putting a jugs machine back there, right? Like the ball, you snap the <laughs> right. ball into it, it just sends it right back. He, yes. he had his time to release was like something insane, like faster than Tom Brady. He was the fastest in the league of anybody that attempted even a reasonable number of snaps. I think it was just three seconds. It was insane. And that's great for Muth and Deontay Johnson, right? But yeah, uh, you know, the picket is a different player. Uh, he's, you know, willing to take a little more time, but we want as fantasy gamers, rapid fire, short targets to the guys we expected. All right, Coop, before I let you go, I got to ask which players have hurt you the most so far this season. So 
The one the one that's hurt me pretty bad is Rashad. I have a ton of Rashad Bateman, and it Same. wasn't yeah, it wasn't just the injury. I mean, like the situation was. And I wrote a full article just on him about the situation, how everything lined up, and it just it didn't it never panned out like that. And that was one that I was drafting him well above. I was drafting. I was reaching for him, you know. So those ones hurt hurt the most when you're when you're so confident and you reach and it doesn't pan out. So that that's the player that has hurt me. Yeah, that was a big one for me too. And and a big part of it is that I'm here in Big Ten country and had seen him play a lot of games for Minnesota. And I was totally sold on the talent. Like I know a lot of people were just sort of looking at the, the target picture in Baltimore and assuming he was going to fall into a ton of targets. And obviously there was target opportunity there, but like I really believed in the player too and still do uh, if if his health cooperates. It's just been disappointing on that front so far. Exactly. What about, Oh, go ahead. It hurt. I was going to say, it's just the other part of it is that like, you know, with a player like that, cause me for, you know, more than just hurting my teams, like it hurt, it hurt that he, you know, the game scripts early on weren't that good. So you, you could say, okay, maybe it's going to happen, right? Like maybe the breakout's going to come. And then he got hurt and kind of dragged you along and came back. So it's just one of those situations where for eight weeks until he was finally put on IR, he left the questions unanswered and then finally just went onto the IR and just everything was dashed. So that that one was – I got you got the full spectrum of hurt from Rashad Bateman this year, right? Yeah, getting strung along on those yes. uh, those injuries like that. You'd rather just a, a guy be out and exactly. you know, move exactly. on. Make other plans. Um, yeah, that's tough. All right. Which players have been your biggest hits so far this season? So, you know, with with a good number of these guys, like, for instance, uh, you know, so an easy one is that I actually was touting uh, Austin Eckler over Jonathan Taylor. And I was also, you know, suggesting that it's not crazy to take him first overall. Me and John and Pemba actually did it in a league. So, uh, you know, but again, with a guy in the first round like that, it's it's not that impressive. Uh, one that I said a good number of times, besides Justin Fields, was Tua. We were I was basically sitting there doing the math and saying, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna be either right drafting Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle where we are, which means that Tua is going to be great, or there are going to be a lot of very disappointed people drafting Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle." And for me, what that translated to was drafting a lot of Tua. Because I was like, hey, why am I going to take the risk on Tyreek Hill? You know, it would have been nicer if I had all of them. But why am I going to take this, what felt like a lot of risk on Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, if I can just wait and and benefit from that situation by taking this this other guy later? And, you know, Tua, when healthy, as, you know, he's looked good. He's been hurt as of late. But, I mean, there there were a lot of haters for Tua. And, uh, you know, he's, he's looked pretty good. You know? Yeah, we get situations like that every year, it feels like, Coop. Don't we wear maybe we like the targets a lot, but we're not totally sold on the quarterback. And we have this sort of logic gap in our yes. rankings. Right. And yeah. And like, that was kind of a hard gap to bridge because we know what Tyreek is capable of. And Waddle came in and had a thousand yard season as a rookie. And, and, you know, Tua was still sort of this uh, puzzling figure for us. So were we ready to buy in and, and, you know, imagine that he was going to, float this value for Tyreek and, and Waddle, or was he going to be a colossal disappointment in which case Hill and Waddle would in, inevitably dis, be disappointing too. So um, yeah, like we get those guys every year, I think where the, the ADP just doesn't add up. It, it truly. Right. And I'll tell anybody out there listening, if you're still doubting Tua, and this is going to sound, this might sound crazy. It might sound childish. Go look up the video that, that, that someone made where they mirrored it. And all the throws are right-handed. Oh, right-handed, yes. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> after I watched that video, I went and looked up a couple of those. Like, I was watching James Harden shoot ready. And I was like, man, James Harden's amazing. Like, I was like, why did it look so weird all this time? And, you know, just mentally processing it, you're like, it does look different. When you flip it to righty with Tua, man, dimes, right? Like, he's. <laughs> it's funny how your brain works. But, yes. hey, I encourage you, go watch that video because it, it, will, it will change your mind at least a little bit, I think. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Andrew Cooper of Fantasy Alarm. Make sure to catch Coop, Kevin Tompkins, and Britt Flynn on the outstanding show, The Lightning Round. And you can also hear Mr. Andrew Cooper on the Quick Out podcast. 
Find him on Twitter at Coop A Fiasco. Coop, this was a blast. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Enjoy the football and the food on Thursday, my man. Yeah, you too, buddy. Greatest greatest holiday there is. And if I can plug one more thing, do you, would you Absolutely. mind? Absolutely. No, in? please, please. Yeah. I got this new endeavor. Uh, it's a it's called uh, Better Sports Network, B-E-T-T-O-R. A guy left SiriusXM, Matt Deutsch, great dude. Uh, you know, brought in some some decent names, Nando DeFino, uh, you know, Lisa Ann. Uh, there's a good number of people over there working with us. And I uh, have the pleasure of doing these shows 7 to 10 a.m. with the Front Yard Fantasy guys. You know them, Simon and JL. Uh, 7 to 10 a.m. every every weekday. We rock, and it's a lot of fun. So uh, anybody out there, download the Better Sports app or just, you know, just go on YouTube, type in Front Yard Fantasy and check out the show. See if you like it. I mean, it's uh, it's my new big endeavor that I'm doing, and we're having a lot of fun doing it. And Pat, if you uh, if we can convince you to get up a little earlier in the morning one day, maybe you come on and uh, chat with the boys. What do you say? Oh, by all means. I mean, I, I Coop, love you, love the front yard guys. I've been on the game show like three times now, so uh, yes. you would not have to twist my arm about that. And uh, hey, I've got I've got two school age kids. I'm up pretty Excellent. early every day. Anyway, Excellent. So. All right, we'll lock that in, my man. That sounds great. All right, Coop. Thanks again for being here. We'll talk to you soon. And that is going to do it for this week's show. My thanks once again to our guest, Andrew Cooper of Fantasy Alarm. Find him on Twitter at Coop A Fiasco. Fits on Fantasy is produced by Calm Kelly, the finest producer of fantasy football podcasts in all of Ireland. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. As always, the music is provided by International Jet Set. And I owe you my sincere gratitude for listening to and supporting the show. Here's hoping that you and your family have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. If you're traveling, I hope your journey isn't too arduous. And I hope all of you have a wonderful holiday filled with friends, family, food, and football. Please come back again next week when I'll be joined by another great guest. Until then, so long, everyone. I've got a head.